Welcome to The Conscious Matchmaker. I'm your host, Sophie Singer, founder of Sophie Love, alongside Elizabeth Foster, lead executive matchmaker and conscious dating coach. Whether you're single or looking to enhance your relationship journey, let us support you in creating meaningful connections. Get ready for heart-to-heart conversations, expert insights, and a dose of compassionate wisdom. This is The Conscious Matchmaker. Let the journey to love begin. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Conscious Matchmaker. I'm Sophie Singer, owner of Sophie Love. And I'm here with Elizabeth Foster, my lead matchmaker. And today we have a really special guest uh, joining us on the podcast. It is Ryle Castano. Ryle is the author of the book, Authentic Relating, A Guide to Rich, Meaningful, Nourishing Relationships. He is a relationship coach and also the co-founder and former CEO of a company called Art International, that trains people all around the world in the practice of authentic relating. So Ryle really is the guru of authentic relating, at least in my eyes he is. So I'm going to give you guys a basic definition of authentic relating. I know we've been talking about it in past episodes, but I'm going to give a high-level definition. It is a set of ideas, practices, and games designed to teach people how to be their authentic selves while connecting deeply with other people and allowing others to be their authentic selves as well. It's a type of relational meditation. A typical authentic relating training is like a set of very deep icebreakers that help people practice being authentic and present with themselves and open, curious, and caring towards others. Authentic relating is profoundly transformative, not just in our relationships, but internally within ourselves. It shows us how often we shut down, relate to others through habit, scripts, or agendas, or just miss opportunities for deep and real connection. If we bring our whole selves into relationships, we are not playing games, we're not strategizing, we're showing our full selves and we're bringing our vulnerability. Welcome, Ryle. So excited to have you here. (laughs) Thanks, Sophie. Good to be here. So I just want to give a very brief, just a little background, how I met Ryle. I was turned on to authentic relating through, actually through IFS and working with our friend and my coach, Justin, and I ended up taking the level one authentic relating course at Art International, which Ryle taught, and simultaneously put myself and two or three of my clients into his Art of Dating mini course. And so I, it must have been just, uh, kismet that I ended up taking the last two courses that Ryle taught as the CEO and senior course leader at Art International. And I was just blown away. I was like, this needs to be 
we need to bring this into the dating space. The dating course was so awesome. I, I was really moved by it. And so, yeah, so I just did what I do, which is reached out to Ryle and was like, can we do something together? <laughs> because I need to bring this into the community that I work with. And so we started, we co-created the Closer events, which we were live in-person events. We created and ran seven of them last year, uh, which was amazing. And it was basically matchmaking fused with authentic relating. And we made some amazing matches. There were couples, people walked away you know, really feeling like they were bringing what they learned in the workshop into their dating lives. So that's the background, Ryle. Okay, so I'm going to kick it off, let Liz kick it off with uh, one of the first questions we have for you. Go ahead, Liz. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being here, Ryle. We're so grateful to have you and, and to have to be able to work with you. I am for sure. So I wanted to just kind of start with asking you to speak to some of the challenges that you see with our clients, with your clients, the single clients, how they can practice authentic relating to address some of their dating challenges. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a good place to start. Just to kind of talk about the current landscape. I mean, I, I would say generally that uh, people over time have experienced a profound shift uh, in the mechanisms and means by which they connect and interact and get to know each other. Uh, I think that probably over the last several decades, the typical social um, hubs and platforms, community gathering spots have somewhat deteriorated. And especially as the innovation and advent of technology, of the internet, of personal devices, has really proliferated. Um, while they seem to, on the surface, promise some kind of greater access to connection and community, I think the actual reality is that it's had people more isolated, more disconnected, more cut off from each other, and uh, has removed access from these more traditional places of community gathering. And then, of course, it, and most recently, COVID came along and just massively amplified the already increasing paradigm of isolation, disconnection, retreat and withdrawal into our own spaces, into our own homes. Um, and so, you know, I think the world of connection and community has been really turned upside down to the great detriment of really all of us. And uh, in particular, the means by which single people find other single people and start to explore the nature of those connections. I really believe that, you know, the, the sort of typical and most human oriented way that we connect is by sharing physical space with other humans and getting a feel and a sense at the embodied level of what it's like to interact, to converse, to share space with other people. And it's from those initial shared space interactions that an organic and natural sort of focus on the context of relationship emerges, whether that's friends or um, you know, activity partners or business partners 
or members of a particular group that share a, a focus or a pastime or a passion or a romance. Um, and as that's fallen away, and then we've seen, you know, this huge uh, growth of dating apps and, um, you know, technologically mediated platforms that are a reflection of this shifting paradigm of society um, that that also is being turned upside down. We're now we're kind of bringing this very sort of discriminating and assessing mindset to looking at people's profiles and data points, essentially, you know, and, and a static image, perhaps, and trying to, by proxy, formulate some kind of impression of how it might be to share space or connect with this person based on a bunch of data points. And that's just not how we function, I don't think, as humans. And so, you know, if, if for anyone who's either been part of the dating scene in the modern world or who knows of it, I think generally people feel a sense of despair and loss and something's just not quite natural. It just feels a bit unnatural or very unnatural in how we're going about this process of seeking a mate and uh, finding prospective partners um, to share a romantic context of relationship with. Uh, and and so that that's really the current landscape is, you know, a lot of people who I don't think really proactively chose to participate in this particular paradigm of how to meet each other and connect with each other, and yet are kind of forced into this existing paradigm. And uh, I think that there's a huge opportunity here for people like us and others to try to right the ship, to try to sort of revert back to the traditional paradigm by which people actually naturally and organically meet each other and seek out connections with each other and form the possibility of romantic chemistry with each other. Yeah. I guess what my question to you is though, and it's a little bit of a challenge, right? Is that, and you're right, by the way, most people I ask them, so why do you choose to, you know, before they even become my clients, part of the questions that I ask them is what made you, cause everybody's on dating apps, right? Like they're just on them. And, and I ask them like, what made you choose this way of meeting people? And they don't even know. They're like, just what, what other way is there? Like they don't even, that is their answer almost always like 90 plus percent of the time. And so I guess I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Dating apps are obviously not going anywhere. People do end up sometimes meeting, I mean, meeting their partners that way. And so I guess what the next question is, because they're not going anywhere, obviously we are trying to create events, experiences, opportunities for people to connect um, more organically. But for those of of our listeners who are still using dating apps, what are your thoughts as far as making the best of that? If they are feeling like, okay, I want to at least have this um, tool, I guess, to connect with people that I wouldn't have otherwise connected with. Yeah. Well, for me, I, I think uh, the, the most effective way to interact with a dating app is to use it as just the initial step and a means by which to actually meet somebody in real life and in person 
mm-hmm. really honestly as as efficiently and quickly as possible because there's just there's just no way we can get a sense of a person and how it feels to be in connection with a person uh interacting via an app and a device and so one place i think apps are useful is that they can filter out for very important non-negotiable central values that people have you know at 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 one extreme you know say religion you know like i'm i'm not going to date somebody who you know and i'm a person of faith let's say and yeah. i i'm not open to actually dating somebody who doesn't take their faith or doesn't have a relationship with their faith like i do and so an app can be useful for filtering out people who are already up front and saying you know where they align around something like that other factors might be location you know it's non negotiable that i want to uh be open to dating somebody in my local area i'm not open to dating somebody beyond a certain range right um you know it, we start to get a little bit more into gray area say around age because you might mm-hmm. have a specific yeah. sort of like parameter around age but yeah. then you might need somebody that you have really beautiful chemistry with that falls outside of that specified age group. So I think you start with the non-negotiables that you're very clear on, like kids is a big one. I definitely yeah. want kids. And then people are stating in their app, I definitely don't want kids. Okay, well, we can, you know, find some efficiency there. Yeah. And so to the extent that we find somebody who at least on paper seems to overlap with our core non-negotiable values, I would say, okay, let's, let's meet up, you know, let, let's actually, you know, move toward a real life shared space opportunity for connection as, as immediately as possible. So we actually can get a sense of each other. And then I would say what's really important is there has to be in my world and through my experience interacting with people who are on the up, has to be a shift of mindset between the mindset that they're using when they're assessing prospective dating partners on an app and the mindset that they actually bring into a shared space experience. We actually, we want to set aside that assessing mindset. You know, I'm going to, I'm basically interviewing you for the role of romantic partner, you know, set that aside, sizing this person up and drop into the body, drop into the heart, drop into your vulnerability, drop into what it's like to be a human sharing space with another human you know, without this agenda and seeing where it goes, you know, creating, you're basically trying to recreate and emulate what it would be like to share space with a person initially and organically on the date, right? So so we're not here to just constrict ourselves to this specific checklist. We're here really just to see what it's like to spend time and share space with each other. And then from there, letting that actually inform and guide us into what kind of context of relationship we might want to explore together. I love it, Ryle. I, I was hoping you were going to say that. I was in my mind being like, okay, the shift from an evaluative mindset into an experiential mindset. It's so important and it's very hard, I think, for for people to do because they're going on a ton of dates too because the dates can come easily, right, on the app. And they get into this like interview mode, right? They're like, I'm interviewing someone for a life partner. And they're not, I I love what you said about shifting into like recreating, almost pretending like, oh, I just met this person for the first time in this restaurant, at this bar, wherever they're meeting. 
and dropping into an experiential mindset. So that brings me to my next question. You always hear, you should be yourself on a date, right? Like be yourself. What does that even mean? I, I feel like most people I talk to tell me they're always themselves. I'm myself on a date, but I actually think it's rarely the case. And the reason why is because when I was dating for many years and I went on a lot of dates, I had first date Sophie. I had second date Sophie. I had the version of myself that I thought was most appealing, sexy, fun. My best self showed up. But now that I've kind of done some inner work and learned and connected with myself and all the parts of myself that I was hiding back then, I realized I was, I was just managing, heavily managing and withholding so many things about myself, the parts of myself that I thought were shameful, my life story, things that I deeply feared um, would cause men not to want to be with me. Like who's going to marry this person with her story, her family, her that, you know, and so I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Yeah. So, you know, one, I think useful question or consideration to hold in your mind is to what extent and how am I trying to curate this other person's impression of me? Like, how am I trying to show up in such a way that I'm trying to get this other person to have a certain experience of me, right? So I might highlight, let's say I want them to perceive me as successful. So I might highlight certain aspects of myself that feed into the ability, to the extent that I have any influence over that ability, of the other person to construct a narrative of me as successful in whatever way that means. So there's, there's no doubt that I don't think there's any doubt that people showing up, especially on a first date are filtering for certain aspects to highlight of themselves and certain aspects to keep behind a guard or to downplay. Right. And, and so we're coming in already with this idea of presenting ourselves in a certain way in order to be perceived by the other person in a certain way. And that's human. It's not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally human. The other person's doing it to us at the same time. So this little sort of like, you know, stage play is acting out where we're trying to cultivate a perception of ourselves in the other person at the same time. And so, you know, the, the advice I offer is not actually to try to not do that because I think it's probably impossible, but to notice and catch oneself doing that and to reveal that you're doing that. Oh, you know, actually, I mean, this, this sounds crazy for people who aren't used to this kind of communication, but it, honestly, it's like a direct fast track to actually getting to know each other as the authentic beings that we are, is to say, well, I'm, I'm totally catching myself trying to get you to have an impression of me by highlighting these certain things about my life. Something like that, just a reveal like that, most often relaxes the whole space. The other person actually can take a breath 
I don't have to do this filtering and managing and role construction and managing your experience of me. All of that takes effort and all of it actually sort of interferes with what could be a really beautiful, natural, organic flow of interaction and, and conversation. And I think the key thing to bear in mind here is to the extent that we're showing up on dates with like holding the possibility that we may actually end up really liking each other and wanting to take the step towards relationship. Well, all that filtering and all that managing is going to fall away at some point anyway. You cannot maintain that for, you know, week after week, month after month, let alone year after year. It's just not going to happen. So all of that is going to fade away anyway. And your actual, authentic, real, you know, sort of messed up, you know, shadowy, shady, ashamed, emotional, <laughs> whatever itself that you are, that we all are, is going to show up anyway. You know, and, and often, I, I mean, I work with couples along every stage of their journey of couplehood, you know, and, and often we see this actually happening where there was a sort of fantasy constructed at the beginning, you know, where we brought in this sort of idea of fantasy and cast each other in the role of enacting this fantasy, which is all like a fairy tale and, and very captivating at first. But then as it wears off, it's like, oh, wow, you know, we're actually the humans that we are, you know, the, fa the fantasy and the fairy tale wears off. And then people think, you know, they, they sort of believe, oh, like it's either my fault, like I'm a bad person for why this relationship no longer feels as magical as it did, or it's the other person's fault. Right. And, and then now we're sort of like trying to diagnose, why isn't this relationship working? Why are there all these issues? Well, no, that's just a normal human relationship. You just set yourself up for that because you convinced yourself that this was like one of these fairy tale, fantastical relationships when it's really just two humans bringing all their stuff into relationship. I mean, conscious relationship is not a fairy tale. It's just not. It's everything. It, it's the fairy tale, but it's also all the shit, you know, and, and all the, yeah. the wounds and the traumas and the past and the way we try to protect ourselves, the strategies we employ to get our needs met. It's all of those things. And, and my practice, this practice of authentic relating is one of illumination. It's not trying to actually become some quote unquote, perfect person or whatever. It's just illuminate who we already are in all of ourselves. It's a practice of illuminating our wholeness. And so I encourage people to bring that illuminated wholeness right to the beginning yeah. and see what that's like, actually, you know, and, and that takes some courage. And I think courage is a worthwhile value to bring to a relationship, no matter to what extent that relationship takes, including first, second, third dates. Um, and I think it just, it, it's like, it gives us the best opportunity to actually really experience the possibility of real chemistry between us. It's not manufactured chemistry. It's authentic whole person chemistry. I mean, that's the most reliable form of chemistry there is. And from there, we can actually build, we can have the possibility of building a really meaningful relationship instead of having to like adjust as we transition out of the fabricated fairy tale into real life. Oh, Ryle, this hits the, you know, I cannot tell you how many men and women I speak with who 
tell me when I ask them about their dating history, they'll tell me, oh yeah, I've been dating for like, I've been single for the last, however, five, six, seven years, 10 years. Yeah. And I typically, you know, it's like everything kind of, I keep going, having these relationships that are two, three, four months. And then it just fizzle. And then it just, yeah, it doesn't work out after that. And then what they, and then I ask them and then, and then they get back on the apps. Right. So to me, what that sounds like is this fabricated fantasy kind of they're they're showing there's the exciting chemistry at the beginning that's kind of fabricated based on the glossy cool chill appealing versions of themselves and then that period ends because like you said you can't maintain it for very long <laughs> the real human part of parts of us just come out right and that's normal right couple months in the honeymoon, two to three months in the honeymoon period starts to fade. And you're like, yeah. Oh wait, this person has their shit. And I have to tell you, I asked, I I've been asking this question lately. I said, if you did not have a dating app to go back to when things start feeling not amazing anymore and you lose interest and that's it, all the baggage starts bubbling up do you think that you would have ended, I'll just say like the last relationship you had, if you had to go out in the wild to meet the next person you were going to date, if you couldn't just turn on your phone, re-download Hinge and start searching again, do you think you would have walked away or would you have maybe just stuck it out a little longer, seen what was possible? Well, just, just to that point real quick, I just feel compelled to say like, you know, yeah. I, I've looked at the the sort of design philosophy behind these apps, and they're by and large designed to be addictive, as many mobile apps are designed to be. It's time on app that yep. matters. And when you have that little connection, you know, you're matched with somebody, right? Somebody likes you, you send a message, it, it's like a little dopamine hit, right? Yep. Ooh, you know, like little pleasure burst in the dopaminergic system in in our physiology like that's actually happening at a physiological level just as it does on instagram you know when a post gets your gets likes or on facebook Mm -hmm. gets comments and so when you start to encounter challenge and difficulty in a new relationship that you know you you maybe sparked from a connection on the app right it's like the the sort of uh you know neurobiology that is being leveraged by these apps sort of sucks you back in right totally. Ooh, like I, yes. I just want to get that hit again by yes. having another connection on the app right like yeah. you like you can't you can't build there is no such thing as a sustainable meaningful whole relationship that's built on these repeated sort of addiction circuits that deliver that dopamine hit every time yep. right yeah and, and yet the rewards are just are like so profound by actually committing to a conscious and whole relationship which does include having to wade through a lot of challenging you know obstacles and circumstances that come up um, and so i think it's just useful to keep that in mind because you, your brain's actually like uh it's getting hard out here let me just go back to where i get that nice little hit mm-hmm. and you could just do that. And I know people do do that just endlessly. They do it for just... years. Ryle, yeah. they're doing it for years. I, I kid you not. Like I've, sp- I've spoken to people. I just talked to somebody the other day 
who's been on dating apps and websites for 14 years. They, yeah. it, it actually, there's, I was listening to this on another podcast. There's, there's, we're, t- we're over 10 years out from the Tinder swipe being created. So the Tinder swipe, mm-hmm. the first swipe. And now the studies show that the dopamine hit that you get from the swipe is mimics pulling on a slot machine lever, like in Vegas. Well, yeah. Any any addictive tendency, (laughs) no matter what it is, activates the same circuit. There is actually a phenomenon of dating app withdrawal. Like when, when you actually quit and delete the apps, right? There's actually like the same kind of, you know, experience of withdrawal that you would have going sober, you know, on a substance or on something else. Like, I mean, I, I felt it, you know, I was on the apps for a little bit. I wasn't super into it, but I, you know, played around on them just to see what they were like, get some experience with them. And I could totally notice the little hits I would get when, you know, somebody responded to a message or I got, you know, the alert that there was a match. A match. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, even like the graphics and like the whole thing. It's oh, just yeah. all to suck you in. And then I yeah. remember like, no, nah, I'm done with this, you know, deleted all the apps off my device. And and for a while after, I could actually literally feel like that compulsion, you know, yes. that, that like of reaching for the phone and, oh, the apps aren't there. Oh, no. You know, I got to face this sort of emptiness or the void when I can't get that hit. It's super... I mean, it's disturbing, it's fascinating, disturbing that this is what's actually happening. So this happens all the time. And when we bring on new clients for matchmaking, we highly recommend and suggest that they delete their apps. And this is such a conversation. Like you can even see in their faces, you're like, okay, so we're going to start, we're going to match you. We're going to start, you know, introducing you to people like maybe one or two times a month is like the cadence because we're interviewing people and we're like having a human experience. And our suggestion is that you, you know, delete the apps. And some are like, yeah, I'm ready. Like, I'm just so like, they're so sick of it. Right. But many are like, well, maybe I'll just, you know, I'll just keep it on the side. It's, it's hard for them. And I have clients that I've worked with for, you know, year, year and a half. And at times they'll admit to me, Sophie, I downloaded Hinge. I just, I, I, I just, yeah. I did it. I downloaded it. This happened a month ago with a client. She downloaded Hinge. She went on like five or six dates. And then she was like, oh my God, I'm so miserable. This was horrible. <laughs> and she immediately deleted it again. But it is, it's like a compulsion and it's very, very addictive. So yeah, yeah I think yeah. for people to keep that in mind, just to realize at what level it's affecting them yeah. and their mental health, like, well, like their emotional you know, health. Just, just like just like any substance like that, you really want to be mindful for where you start substituting that for the real thing. Mm, right? So, yeah. you know, okay, fine. If you, if, <clears throat> if you want to use the apps and use them at least intelligently, responsibly, like still get out there, still do your very best to muster the courage and vulnerability to go to where, go to places where people are gathering, yep. right? Like you've got to meet people in real life, at least as a supplement to your activity on an app. Yeah. Like don't let it be a substitute and a replacement for actually being out there interacting with people on a human to human level. And yeah, that does take courage. 
you know, to walk up to a stranger, to start a conversation with somebody, to sort of, you know, get yourself out of your shell, you know, and, and, and I, I recommend people just start even with just simple eye contact and smiling, just start there. Let's go back to basics, right? Just when you're out in the world, make it a practice to look people in the eye and hold eye contact for a moment, acknowledge that there's a human over there and just give them a little acknowledgement, a smile, something, if not a word, if not a question, you know, just so we can keep these natural organic human connection circuits alive. Yeah. I noticed the other day I was at Target and I, the woman was checking me out and I was all caught up texting someone on my phone. And I was like, Oh God, I, I, I noticed myself being in this tech absorbed, horrible, not present state. I threw my phone in my bag and I've been doing this often. It takes a conscious effort. Mm -hmm. And I just started a conversation with the woman who was ringing me up. And, you know, I had a huge, of course, way too many things buying at Target always. So there was a lot of things and I got to talk to her and it was, it was nourishing for me. It really was. And it was nourishing for her. She was so sweet. And I, that's why I, I love that idea of people practicing this just anywhere, standing in line, sitting on a plane, you know, wherever it is, this is good stuff. Okay, Liz, we have a fun one that we, we asked our clients some stuff. So go ahead, Liz. Yeah, we asked some of our clients, you know, who've been coaching with you, who've been learning the authentic relating practices, you know, what they would want to ask you. So one of the question that came up was, you know, sometimes practicing authentic relating can feel a little bit heavy on a date and, um, you know, it can be hard to practice or can create kind of a strange tone and, you know, how, how can we use these practices, but still connect deeply and, and keep it fun and light as well? Yeah. Well, you know, first, the first thought is like, well, okay, what's, what are you doing by default when you're not using say things that we've talked about or explored in authentic relating typically people default to these very uh generic scripts of conversation right there's no there's not there's no actual feeling in these questions like uh you know what do you do for work and what do you do for fun and where do you live and where did you grow up you know those questions are actually valid but by and large people are just defaulting to a script to fill the air to have something to say because it's too awkward to just be there without anything to say. And so a lot of the day, if you actually like are honest about, you know, the sense of aliveness or deadness on a typical date, you know, a lot of a date is filled with just scripted conversation that nobody cares about either asking or answering. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, we're just following a script essentially. So, um, you know, where things occur as strange, I, I, to me, honestly, I will take strange over lifeless and boring any day, right? And and see see where that takes us. Um, I would say for people who are learning authentic relating at the beginning, it seems like, oh, a thing I'm supposed to do, it still actually looks like a scripted framework. I should ask this, get this time, and I should re- share this. It, it it's It's actually not, although I get that those are sort of like, maybe the training wheels to get there. You know, it's just like learning a guitar, an instrument. At first you're sitting there and you're like having to think about where to put your fingers, right? And your fingers are hitting the adjacent strings and you're playing the wrong note and it sounds like shit. And you might be in your head about it. 
and, you know, getting caught up and so, well, that, that's part of the learning process. So, you know, we can't actually short circuit or get around what it is to learn something where I think authentic relating has a big advantage is that we don't actually have to learn it. It's already in our bodies and in our systems. A lot of it is just a remembering and a reactivating a lot of these dormant circuits that we lost as we grew up into adulthood, especially this very modern, fast paced, technologically driven adulthood. I mean, honestly, a lot of authentic relating when it's really embodied and practiced naturally is very childlike. It's very playful. It's there's a sweetness to it that brings us back to a lost time. And again, just like learning a, an instrument at some point as you practice and you commit to the practice and you're willing to embrace the awkwardness of what it is to learn something, it becomes more and more natural, right? And, and then you're making music actually by embodying this natural way of being with a person. So I, I couldn't say anything to actually like delete or eliminate the process of learning a new thing. It <laughs> right. just is kind of awkward, you know, and if you stay with it and you keep practicing and, and the, again, the beauty of authentic relating is that you get to practice it every single day in every moment that you are encountering or sharing space with another human being. It's the skills and tools we teach for the dating world are exactly the same and, you know, just as equally applicable to roommates, to colleagues, to friends, to anyone and everyone. So you get to practice all the time. And, and in my experience, having been in this work for as long as I have, it, it goes through that awkward stage to actually a natural stage, like very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's not like this, you know, long drawn out process, much faster than learning to play the guitar, I can tell you that, <laughs> much faster. So, so, there, so there's that. And then ultimately you realize authentic relating is not a thing you do, it's a way that you are. Right. It's, it's actually me being the whole conscious, you know, curious me. And so I, you know, I, I think ultimately it's sort of like, um, I don't know if you all remember, but when I was, I don't know, some years, a couple decades ago, they had these things, these images where I think they're called stereograms. When you first looked at them, it's just like a jumble of lines and shapes and stuff. But if you like focused your eyes in a particular way, you would see this three-dimensional image contained in the yeah. flat two-dimensional surface and it was yeah, like this aha moment it was like oh my god i see it now and now i can now i can't unsee it i can do it every time now it's very yes. similar to authentic relating you start to have these little drops of experience of like oh wow that just felt so good and so natural and like emotional you know like i'm i'm, I'm moved in this moment of interacting this other with this other human being mm -hmm. and and from there it really you know, the imprint is there. You, you can't un-imprint that experience mm. of meaningful, vulnerable, deep human connection with someone. So this is a good segue into the next thing. I heard you say this during our, um, during the dating course. You said, this is truly the antidote to dating boredom. That's what like, I, I wrote it in huge letters on my notebook page. And I've heard you say it before in coaching sessions and, just speaking to this, like I've heard you speak about this novel, like you said, the off script sharing of your deep curiosity. And I love this idea of like following the aliveness at any expense. Can you just speak a little bit more to that in, you know, and how, to, how, how people can be courageous enough to bring that yeah. into their dating experiences? 
Well, just to illustrate how it's an antidote to boredom, I'm just imagine that you're on a date and you and or your your date are just following this tired, lifeless script. You've heard it all before. <laughs> You've been on a hundred dates. It's the same thing. You said the same thing every time. And and you're actually having you're actually bored. And so imagine <laughs> that that's your experience. Now you know whether or not you actually do this. Just imagine, at least in your mind, saying. Wow, you know, like I'm, I'm noticing that I'm really bored on this date with you. Like that's interesting yeah, to yeah. me. And I'm, and I'm actually, I'm actually going to name that out loud. Suddenly, in that, in that second, it's not boring anymore because you just <laughs> revealed something really actually odd. true and authentic about your experience, right? Yeah. So just actually naming what's actually happening itself just injected some life into the conversation. And, and, you know, you'd be surprised how much is welcome and sort of allowed in the scope of authentic relating in, in this kind of like genuine, curious, humble revealing. You, you can say, you know, I, I remember coaching somebody and she noticed that her day kept looking away and like not making any eye contact with her. Yeah. Right? And like, she didn't say anything. Right. So, so now that's the tone of the interaction. This, the, what's up with this guy? He just keeps looking away. Like now I'm checking out myself. He seems checked out. So now I'm going to check out mm -hmm. and that's the date. They're both checked out. So now imagine if she had said, Hey, you know, this feels a little bit sort of vulnerable to say, but I noticed you're, you're looking away a lot and you're not really making much eye contact with me. And I'm curious about that. What, what's happening for you? Like, just imagine the life that comes back in that moment right and then he might say who knows what he might say well yeah i'm just actually feeling kind of nervous you know or i notice i'm actually feeling attracted to you and it's sort of intense just to like look at you who knows like whatever answer I, comes yeah. suddenly now you've got some life back yeah. right and, and you get to explore that and and i've had i've seen so many ex like um experiences where you like people didn't like they were noticing something they didn't say anything and it just sort of petered out versus mm -hmm. people who did say something they actually did muster the courage and vulnerability to name and reveal their inner world and something that would have just totally fizzled out actually sparked a life and those yeah. people actually got closer as a result and more excited to be together and then went on to have successful, you know, future dates and interactions and relationships. I mean, that's the power of sort of transforming the moment by actually revealing and naming what your experience is, you know, and, and for that to happen, you actually have to transcend all of the conditioned filters that tell you, don't say this, you shouldn't say this, just go right. along with it. Don't make a scene, don't make it awkward, don't make it blank, you know. And you're really denying yourself and the other person opportunity to bring the aliveness back by being honest and transparent and real, you know? And so, so to me, a lot of this work actually is willing to take the risk and being courageous enough to step into the unknown where there are no scripts for what I'm actually feeling in this moment and trusting that it will guide us somewhere, somewhere off script, somewhere into uncharted territory. And, and to me, that is intimacy. That's actually real intimacy. Real intimacy is 
naturally derived from and generated from honesty, transparency, and a willingness to reveal what's actually happening on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, I'm just like kind of resonating with what you just said too. It just hit so deeply. And I feel that like that level of intimacy is, is hard to come by without this work. But, you know, talking with our clients about like their experiences in dating and getting from, you know, a first date to a second date, a lot of times like conversation maybe changes, something shifts, whether they want to shut down, they want out, they're kind of over it, like you mentioned, like, you know, so navigating those situations, whether it's, you know, being on a date and kind of wanting to graciously end it, or, you know, is there a way to kind of turn it around and make it a meaningful experience for both people? You know, how can we empower, how can we empower them to own their experience when it is maybe a boring date for them? Yeah, well, that so, yeah. you know, a lot of this is to reactivate what can be a very dormant muscle of curiosity, mm. right? Like yeah. if I'm feeling disconnected, bored, checked out, is that because of me? Is that because of the other person? Is Am I reacting to my perception of them? Am I, is there something, is there maybe often it's, we encounter some kind of resistance and often that resistance blocks the way to actual vulnerability. It's this fascinating phenomenon that the more important a desire is of ours, the more resistance will show up as we move toward the fulfillment of it, hmm. right? So I'm actually, I might be moving toward actual, you know, meaningful connection with somebody and something pops up. Well, it's, it's scary. I don't want to go there. I got hurt last time. So now I'm going to make up a bunch of reasons and justifications for why I shouldn't go forward. You know, they're this way, they're that way. Oh, it would never work. It's this really strange paradoxical thing because it is vulnerable to fall in love. It is vulnerable to open your heart, open your body, be, you know, willing to share your life with somebody. And especially if you've been burned or hurt or dropped or wounded in the past, as many of us have, then your, your sort of ego structure is there to protect you from that happening again. Like, don't do that. Don't open your heart again. Are you crazy? You're going to get hurt again. Right. Even though that's actually like the authentic, like calling. And, and, and now people are like in this sort of tension, like, what do I do? You know, mm -hmm. like on one level, I like this person, but on the other hand, like, I don't want to get hurt again. So there's a very delicate kind of dance that has to occur. And the, the way through it is curiosity, right? Like, like, let me, let me actually sit with this. Let me talk to the, the people whose perception or opinion I really trust, people who know me. Let me talk about it with the person, the, actually the person that I'm connecting with, right? Don't just sort of like pick a conclusion and go with that, go with that without the benefit of first getting curious, you know, and, and really sitting with it and feeling your way through it. I think often people are trying to think their way through. And if they're thinking their way through, they're employing too much of a value for protecting themselves yeah. against being hurt. If they feel their way through, right, they're, they're like leading with their emotional body and can get underneath and at least like have a complementary experience than one that revolves around self-protection. I would say a lot of 
potential meaningful connections and relationships with people are thwarted by a, a too great emphasis on self-protection. So first get yeah. curious. Now it might be that the result of that curiosity is, yeah, actually we're not compatible or there isn't chemistry or whatever, you know, there might be some other reason that, that might actually, you might arrive at, and it feels actually like legitimate and, and anchored in your, in your system. Yeah. You know, that we're not a match. Okay. But right. at least see it through, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, you know, whenever, when I was still back on, on dating apps and going out on dates with people, and I really was practicing going in, just being with another human and just seeing what might arise. I actually became really good friends with some of the people I ended up on dates with. Yeah. Like one of my best friends right now, actually. I mean, there's, there's, there's no romantic energy there, but we've been really good friends for a couple of years and we met on a dating app, you know? So you don't have to just throw it all away because, oh, this isn't like my life partner. Yeah. You know, maybe there's somebody like I actually like, you know, maybe there's, there's not that romantic prospect, but there's other ways that we could form and enjoy and be nourished by a relationship of some kind. It's interesting because I hear this, I hear this all the time. People tell me, you know, I know within the first few minutes, whether this person is for me or not. Like I know, you know, and I'm like, really? Okay. So that's a snap judgment and fine. You know, you may look at a person and be like, oh, wow, they look totally different than their photos. And that's yeah. a valid reaction to have. I completely understand. But what I like about these situations is instead of being like, okay, I'm out, like how fast can I get out of this? Right. The stakes are low at this point, right? Like you're not at that point, you're not worried. Okay. Like, is this person going to like me? I, like, you know, I feel like that's the perfect opportunity to practice yeah. <laughs> these skills and yeah. be more courageous. Right. Well, there's something to learn from, I believe there's something to learn about oneself from every single interaction with another right. human. I mean, you could yeah. literally, you could, you could construct in your mind like the worst possible date you can imagine. And even there, there's something actually for you to walk away with of value. I mean, I, I, I the worst date, probably yeah. sort of the textbook worst date I ever went on some years ago and like, you know, met at a bar uh, again, this is, this is the thing. It's like on paper, it seemed like, oh, you know, like, should be a connection there. We like a lot of the same things. And then when we got together, just the energy was just completely like not a match at all. <laughs> and she was like sharing a story about something and I was conveying interest, you know, by being there with her. And I was just like, oh yeah, you know, wow, that's cool. And she's like, can you stop interrupting me all the time? Just let me tell my story. And I was just like shocked. And in my <laughs> shocked reaction, I'm like, I, I want to get the hell out of here. This, this, I don't like this person at all, but I didn't, I actually stayed. And then we unpacked like that, it, like what was actually happening for her? What was she picking up on? And, and what was I bringing sort of unconsciously? And I, I walked away with this sort of insight of like, oh, for me, for me to manage other people's experience that I'm interested in their story, I should like convey these little like words you know, but for them, it might land as an interruption. And I, I did not know that I was not tracking that. And actually, mm -hmm. I, I learned so, something so valuable from that date that I've kept with me ever since.
and has me more attuned to actually being present with people in their shares without sort of diluting or getting in the way of it. So, you know, something to learn from every interaction. Yes. So speaking to owning, owning our experiences, another, another thing that comes up all the time, Ryle, I've heard you speak to our joint clients about this is this, this stage early on in dating after people start dating, it's the first two, three, four, five weeks, whatever it is. And they talk about hanging out again and they're texting each other. And then there's this like, oh, I haven't heard from him or the pace changed for one, for a week and a half. He was texting me like every day or every other day. And now it's been three days. And just the pace and all of these little things that pop up and all of the things that can cause something to just die on the vine. How can we empower people to own their experience and follow through and not let things like con potential connections sort of die on the vine? Yeah. Well, so everybody seems to have their own kind of default idea of pacing of how long of space there should be or what feels good in between communication. And, yeah. and basically those, those are our own personal languages of human connection. And now we're speaking different languages with each other. It's, it's like trying to interact with somebody who literally speaks a different language and trying to understand each other, but we're speaking different languages and nobody is saying or realizing, right. oh, I know what's going on here. We're speaking different languages. Like no wonder there's a miss here. Right. It's just, it's like that moment of clarity of like, oh, okay, let, let's actually like at least first acknowledge that we have different ideas or orientations to pacing, to space, to communication. Some people like more, some people like less. Some people feel yeah. if they communicate too much, they're, they're going to be like crowding the other person and like scaring them off. Right. Yeah. So then somebody else thinks like uh, if they don't communicate, that's going to express that they're not interested. There's this, this like crazy strategic sort of, you know, constant trying to strategize our way through this landscape of, of missing each other, risking missing each other, or not conveying what we actually feel about each other. So all of that goes away when we get explicit. And that's, again, the illuminating of what's actually happening. Right. so to the extent, like, I, you know, I, I don't really like leaving things vague at the end of a date. Well, do we like each other? Do we want to see each other? And if we do, like, when should we get in touch? You know, maybe one person's super busy. The other person has a lot of space. So I would, you know, we sort of call it a checkout, you know, at the end of the date. Let's actually just take a moment, a few minutes, and just talk about our experience of this date. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, you know? And how do we want to go forward? Yeah, I would like to see you again. Uh, maybe I, I, I'm going to need a few days just to, sit with this and process this and see how it feels. When, yeah. when would you like to get in touch again? You know, like, it, oh, I'm going on a trip for a week. I'm not gonna be able to reach out until I get back. So actually just take a moment to land on the same page. So you, you don't leave with all these assumptions and vagueness and then have to wonder and guess and imagine and project and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. See where it is that you can get clear. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't take longer than a few minutes just to, you know, one person's like, yeah, I really enjoyed it, but I don't think there's a match here. Well, I'm really, I want to know that then, then just be wondering, you know, and 
sending messages and the other person's not responding or responding with this sort right. of like cold response. And now I have to like, you know, infer what's happening based on my reading of the communication. Right. And then in the communication itself, you know, like, you know, that's again, where you can reveal and be direct and transparent, you know, say that exact thing, you know, hey, listen, like I, I, I like you and I'd like to see you again. And I'm conscious of communicating in a way that isn't either too much or, or not enough, you know, that, that actually transparently lets you know that I like yeah. you and would like to see you again. And I'm not here to be pushy. There's no urgency, you know, and I, I definitely encourage people to the extent that the platform allows to be, to leave voice messages and not, not text messages. Oh, yes. Because there's so much context that can be lost. Actually, so much can be conveyed even through the tone of the voice, you know, as wow. much as through the actual words themselves. So mm -hmm. be talking about this, be transparent about this, be forthright, you know, right. be open. And, and that just saves yeah. us from so much misunderstandings, mischaracterizations, strategy, right? And all of these things contribute to building a foundation of trustable, honest, open, welcoming relationship, which is what I think we all want in our relationships. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ryle, it's interesting. What came up for me as you were saying that is hearing the recount from our clients' dates, like we do date feedback calls with them after and hearing of one person's, you know, like a client of mine was like, oh yeah, we had a great date. It was awesome. We even kissed at the end. It was like, it felt great. He said he wants to see me again. Awesome. Okay. But then we have them fill out a date feedback form. And, you know, I noticed this client that had a great date. I went back and I said, have you heard from him? No, it's been like three days. I haven't heard anything. You know, the guy, what they reveal in the date feedback form, which they know comes to us. It doesn't go, we don't share all that stuff. We use a discretion, obviously. It's what I wish they would share explicitly in that checkout conversation you're talking about. You know, he listed, yes, open to seeing her again. Had a great time. When I say, like, are there any reservations? I'm concerned that she has a very young child and doesn't have time for a relationship. So he has these, like, concerns that are right there at the forefront. And here we are. Of course, they haven't been named. Will they ever be named? One person sitting around wondering, he maybe have decided, you know what, like, I don't want to pursue this. Again, it's just, there's so much that goes unsaid. I would say, again, I work with couples along every stage of their relationship. I'd say the number one issue that relationships of any length suffer from is from the unspoken, yes. the unsaid. Mm -hmm. Yep. For whatever reason, too scary, too vulnerable, don't want to make a scene, don't want conflict. It's my stuff. It's his stuff. I'll just stuff it down. At worst, I'll just cheat, like whatever. It's it's all right. redirecting the unspoken. Yeah. Just say it. Yeah. Yeah. Just say it. Okay. So last question, and this might be what you just said, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's one final piece of advice that you would give today to every single, every single single person, all the single people out there 
who are currently seeking to cultivate deep, lasting, committed romantic relationships today? I would say practice human connection every day with everyone and recognize that that takes some commitment. It's like, you wanna get fit and strong, you go to the gym, like you work out. You're not gonna get fit and strong sitting on the couch watching Netflix. Sorry, it's not gonna happen. So you're not gonna have this beautiful, amazing, rich relationship by not actually getting out there and practicing having meaningful, deep, vulnerable, real relationships, connections, conversations every day with people. Right. And, th and then from there, it just blossoms naturally. It's like, it's in your system. It's alive, right? You're curious about people. Your heart is open, right? Your eyes are open. People occur to you as just treasures, as precious sort of gateways to exploring something new and fulfilling and exciting. These are the ingredients that make those kinds of relationships possible. So bring that into the dates, bring that every day, bring that to the people in your life. And it'll just, your, your dream of having that will just be a natural blossoming outgrowth of how you already are in the world. Ryle, thank you so much for doing this today. I know you're heading out. This was a stretch. You squeezed us in at the end. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was such an awesome conversation. I am so excited for our course, our workshop, Closer to You, The Art of Conscious Dating. If anybody's interested, please go to sophie.love and click on workshops. Ryle and I will be co-facilitating this workshop starting on March 7th. We're really excited about that. And yeah, I'm just super feeling so alive. So much love. Thank you, Ryle. Thank you for joining us today. Thank so yeah, love. thank you, Sophie. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, awesome. Really enjoyed talking about all this and super excited for the course. Okay, see you later. Bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Conscious Matchmaker podcast for our really special interview with Ryle Castano. If you're ready to delve deeper into authentic relating and the art of conscious dating, we invite you to join Ryle and I for our upcoming online workshop, Closer to You, The Art of Conscious Dating. It'll be running from March 7th through March 28th, every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. The sessions will be live over Zoom and will also be recorded if you miss any. This live online course will completely transform your experience of dating in the modern world, giving you the specific resources to facilitate and cultivate profound connection, depth, intimacy, and aliveness on your dates. And everything you'll learn at this course will also be completely applicable to creating a beautiful, nourishing relationship with someone as you embark on the journey of conscious partnership. While Ryle was a senior course leader at Art International, he designed and delivered a three-week online authentic dating course that was repeatedly one of Art's most popular and impactful courses. Since then, both Ryle and I have put in hundreds of hours as dating coaches and authentic dating workshop facilitators through our Closer events. We have learned so much about what has had the most transformational impact for singles in the modern dating world. 
This course represents the very best of what both Ryle and I have discovered to empower singles with the most powerful tools and skills available. Participants will learn how to reveal their authentic experience and invite others to do the same, practice curiosity as a doorway to profound intimacy, set context that can transform any moment into aliveness and joy, and create meaningful, memorable conversations and connections that nourish and uplift. As an added bonus, all participants will receive one curated introduction to a match within my personal network of vetted singles. To register for the course, just go to our website at sophie.love, that's S-O-P-H-Y dot L-O-V-E. Click on what we do and then select workshops. Thank you so much for listening. Sending lots of love your way today.